sacrifice that you give. And we thank you for pressing on and showing us in this generation how it needs to be done. For we need to fight on until the end. God doesn't have a retirement plan. I know we love retirement plans and we're in the land of the big three where we hear about pensions, but you don't get to retire at 55 in God's armor. You don't get a pension. I heard the word say, be thou faithful until death and I will give you a crown of life. Thank you to our senior saints for showing us what faithfulness really means. Give them a hand clap today. just don't know what you mean to me. We're supposed to gain strength from the church, one from another. And, and, and Paul said the, the older should teach the younger. And you don't know sometimes older saints, you don't have to say a word. It's just your presence. Just because you showed up and you're faithful, it keeps us going saying, I hope I'm like that one day. I'm hope, I hope that I have that strength and that tenacity to keep going. Nana, you don't know how many times people uh, call me from the live stream and say, who is that lady it's down there on the floor? She's still faithfully serving God. How many people that you encourage? I thank all of you today. Grateful for those of you who are here praying for our kids that have gone to camp. Um, camp is going on, and hopefully next year we'll get an even bigger load for the kids that are going to be in camp. It is a wonderful thing. Um, praying for Robin and all those who are on the road, praying for Pastor Pentecost and Sister Dorothy Messer, um, and for all those who need prayer right now, uh, for Sister Dara Farr, for Nora and Sudi uh, Gilman, uh, Sue and Nora Gilman, those people that I don't see uh, out here today, we're, we're praying for you as always, and those of you who are in here that just need prayer, we want to say thank you for coming today. Um, today is going to be an awesome sermon, and are you excited for the word? I try not to be too much in the news when I preach, but I kind of would be kind of tone deaf to the tenor if, if I didn't mention that this week, although it's not stopped completely, abortion has been slowed down. It's been halted. And I know it's a controversial topic, but not for the Bible. We say what God says, and this is God's space. So to the Christian and to any human being that has any cognitive ability to kill a living being is wrong. Before we even had the pages of the Bible, if you want to go back to Hammurabi's code, it's been inherently known that thou shalt not murder, that murder was wrong. And we're so grateful today under any circumstance, murder is wrong. And the Bible says that when we uphold murder, God will judge a nation for the murder that it puts up. And so for years, for almost 50 years, we have murdered over 63 million people. And some of that ceases now. We can't stop everything, but we're thankful to God for those things. Not just, it's one thing to be biblically correct, but this time when you're legally correct, it's a lot better. You don't have to even bother with people that just say you're a religious zealot. You can just go to the law. And we're grateful and pray for all those people. Uh, I, I was on my Facebook feed the other night, and I try not to be on Facebook much, but I saw somebody, one of my Facebook friends, putting up the addresses of all the Supreme Court justices. In other words, to help do harm to these people. That's evil. 
that's evil and that's sick and that's demonic to try to use intimidation and violence and things. Uh, we live in one of the greatest nations on the earth and a little bit greater now that we're trying to do the right thing. America's never been perfect. America never will be perfect, uh huh? We have a dark, dark past, but aren't you glad that America is just like its inhabitants? All of us have a dark, dark past. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within and seeking to rise no more. But then the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else help would help. Love lifted me. I'm so glad, and I my heart's a little chagrined, and it'll be some for the sermon today, because what we have to realize is it's time for the church to realize before you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're a Christian. And that if your opinion doesn't line up with the word of God, your opinion needs to change. We can't change God for us. We have to change for God. His word is right and his word is pure. We're just grateful for those things. And grateful and pray for those who have rule over you and grateful for your leaders and things of, of that nature. We're going to start today, if we can stand for the reading of God's word in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We love those things that God is doing in the land in America. But we have to be balanced. If somebody has had an abortion, it doesn't matter that you've had it. God still loves you and he'll still forgive you. But we're thankful for what God is doing. James chapter 5, starting at verse 1. A happy subject today. <laughs> Let's read it. Are you ready? Let's read. James chapter 5, verses 1 through James chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Uh, let's read. It says what? Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and you will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid treasure up in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who moved your fields, which kept you kept back which you kept back by fraud are carrying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the righteous person How he does not resist you today I want to preach to you from this subject fool's gold <laughs> fool's gold you may be seated in the presence of God. Lord, speak your servants, listen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I know reading those scriptures, somebody says, well, buckle your seatbelts. We're not in for a happy jump and shout sermon today. But it's a jump and shout sermon depending on how your perspective is on life. Because we've seen James talking to us all throughout the Bible. And, and as we've seen James speak to us all throughout the Bible, last week James talked to us about humility. He talked about telling us, uh, don't be so arrogant that you think you know where your plans are. You can make plans, but I determine the course. He says, say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this thing or that. Make sure that you are depending on God. It's not the fact that you plan that's wrong. 
what it should be bothersome is that you plan and you don't add God at all in your plans. And James is still on that vein of arrogance because he's talking to these believers. And it seems like James is a little bit harsh. But sometimes in the word, we can't be soft and we can't be nice. I know it would be nice if we could say everything nice and we could do everything nice. But the truth of the matter is sin is not nice. Sin is aggressive and sin can direct and destroy your life. So sometimes when we see things in the world that are not like God, we have to treat those things um, as they need to be treated. In other words, that if you have an aggressive cancer, you can't be nice with the aggressive cancer. You have to make sure that you are aggressive with that cancer. Sometimes it may cause discomfort to the person that has the cancer, but you are hurting that person a little bit to save their life in the what? Long run. That's why the Bible says that the word is a two-edged sword, cutting down to the very moral bone. In other words, that the word of God sometimes will cause discomfort in our lives. Sometimes the word gets in our business. We like to say to ourselves in the South, we're a little bit more, uh, a little bit more in your business. We're always friendly and knowing things and wanting to be in places. How your mama them and how's this going on? But a lot of times I notice in the North, a lot of people seem to keep to themselves. They value and cherish their private life. But here's the thing. You might have a private life from other people, but you don't have a private life from God. For it is the word of God's job to get in your business. It is the word of God's job to meddle in those things that you don't want to meddle in. It is the word of God's job to talk about those things that you do not like. It is the word of God's job to talk about those things that you do not agree with. Even when we were mentioning abortion just a second ago, you can feel the room tense up a little bit because people are worried about what people think about or say about them. I'm not worried about what anybody thinks or says of me if the word of God says it, I say it, let God be true and every man a liar. We stand on the unmitigated, unadulterated word of God. I'm not interested in having debates and what ifs and straw man arguments about what, what we think about socially and what we think about politically. Those things really don't matter. It's not our job to tell God how to run his world. It's our job to submit to the Lord and do things the way he wants to. And James today is giving a message uh, to some people that are in the church. He's not talking about people that are outside of the church. The book of James is written to the church. Everybody says written to me. <laughs> So there are two extremities in the church now. There's what I call a prosperity gospel, which is wrong, which says that every time I have money, God is on my side and I have the favor of God, which is the furthest thing from the truth. And there's also the opposite side that says you're not godly unless you're broke. Jesus didn't have any money. Jesus, Jesus, he was poor as if we don't realize that Jesus sits on a throne in a city with a street paid with gold. We try to put our agendas on God. That it, it, It's not bad to be rich. It's not bad necessarily to be poor unless you cause your poorness through your poor decisions. But what James is talking about this morning, because when you see it, he says, come now you rich and weep and howl for the miseries that are coming you. Your riches have rotted you and your garments are moth eating. James is trying to let us know something as he takes a spiritual scalpel in our life. He is not attacking the abundance of wealth. He is simply speaking to those who have a deficiency of faith and humility. He is speaking to the church, to those who prioritize earthly gain 
over heavenly gain. In other words, their priorities are out of what? Line. Their priorities are out of place with what God has called them to be. In other words, their wealth has them and they do not have their wealth. I've come to tell you today that your priority is shown in what you produce. What do you mean? In other words, whatever is important to you is what you produce. In other words, whatever you spend time on, whatever you make number one in your life, you will see the fruits of those things happening. I'm from the South. I have a garden. I spend time in my garden. I spend time planting. I spend time watering. And at the same time, yesterday, when I wanted some greens, I didn't go out to the store. I spent time reaping what I had planted. And many times we don't realize in life that our priority shows us we can look simply at our lives and see where our priorities are. It's often said that you can tell what's important to a man by following his checkbook. If you say, I love you, Jesus, but you never give, not just to the church, but to the purpose of God, you might want to check your priority because what you believe is produced in what you do. Jesus said, be ye not just hearers of the word, but be ye doers of the word. Don't deceive yourself. Don't fool yourself saying you love God and you won't do what he said. The Bible said, why callest thou me Lord, but you don't do anything I say. Jesus is saying that you can call yourself a Christian, but just by calling yourself a Christian does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. The Bible said that you will be known by your fruit. In other words, if you are not producing godly things, you might not have the love of God in your heart. Well, explain a little bit, Pastor. I think I will. Marriages that often struggle reveal a life of priority in making the marriage work. Many times marriages are struggling because people are worried about building their careers. They're worried about building their lives. They're worried about getting followers on Facebook and TikTok. And they prioritize that so they become successful in social media while they are unsuccessful at home. Whatever's important to you, you're going to do. Well, my marriage has trouble. Have you prioritized your marriage? Have you put your marriage first? Because here's the thing. Next to God, your marriage is everything. The Bible says that the virgin thinks of the things of the church, but that the married woman thinks of the things of her husband, how she might please him. In other words, if there's anything in your life that comes in priority above God and your spouse, it is out of line. Well, I have my dreams and my goals. That's fine. Have your dreams and your goals. But if your dreams are, and goals are causing you to neglect your husband or wife, your dreams and goals are not of God. That's your flesh because God's not going to give you anything that will help you subvert the order in which he's created. Those are simply your dreams and your goals. Nothing wrong with having dreams. I know that, that we want to have hope and purpose, and God has made you with a purpose. But too long in the body of Christ, we have fed people a bunch of sugar, telling them that you can go live your best life now, and everything is about you, and everything's about you being your best self, and you being, being your, living your best purpose. <laughs> Instead of telling people the truth, that all your righteousness is but a filthy rag, and 
that you are here for the service and the pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. It is not about you. Everybody say, it's not about me. It's not about me. You didn't show up here today because it was about you. And I know we have done a disservice to my generation, the millennials and down, because we have lied to them. We have given them so much affirmation. You're, you're strong and you're mighty and you're all these things. We have actually made them think that they can live independently of God. And we have let them flock to preachers who preach a gospel that is not true, not a gospel that is a gospel of service and humility of God, but a gospel that will tickle my ear. The Bible says in the last day, men will not endure sound doctrine. What does that mean? In the last day, men won't fill up churches where preachers preach the truth. Men will fill up churches where preachers tell them what they want to hear. Men will fill up churches where people say, you're the best and you're the greatest. And every sermon I make is about how good you are and how nice you are and, and, and how you can overcome your struggles and you can be your best self. And every sermon that's preached has to do with how the enemy is hurting you. We preach a sermon on David and Goliath and the sermon had nothing to do with God. It's all, all about how everything is your Goliath and you are David. And we have a self-centered false gospel, but we need to start going back to preaching the truth that the gospel is not about you it's about God that we were created for his will the Bible in Colossians said everything in the world that was made was made through him and for him you were made for him for his glory when you live your life it's not so you can be happy it's so that God can be pleased because some of the things that, we, that makes us happy does not please God. If you be honest, some of the things you like to do don't please God. When somebody cuts you off in traffic and they throw you an unholy hand and you do the right thing, that don't please you, but it pleases God. What will please you would be able to throw that same said hand back to them and say some of the words that they gave to you and return it and say, well, Lord, you said they need to reap what they sow. That's what will please you, but that does not what pleases God. What pleases you is to say, I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. I can live how I want to live when I want to live it and nobody can tell me what to do. I am the captain of my sea. Oftentimes finances struggle. And you know why? It reveals when your finances are struggling, it reveals a lack of priority in making your your stuff work. If you got a nice car and a nice house, you prioritize that stuff, but you don't, you're not able to buy anything because you're overextended. You have not prioritized stewardship. Some of the reasons that we can't give a lot of times in church is because we're poor stewards. And as I heard a preacher say one time, we buy what we want and we beg for what we need. Look at your neighbor and say, it's tight, but it's right. A lot, a lot of times we have lives that struggle, and when our lives struggle, they reveal a lack of priority in spiritual and personal development. Some of the struggles you have in life, some of them you do need to go to a counselor about, but sometimes it's because you need to stop focusing so much on yourself and put the focus on God. I'm not saying to neglect yourself. I am not saying to ignore your needs, but we have become so selfish that we only care about what involves us. And that is what James.
James is saying today to these rich people, James is not talking about being rich is evil. That's far from the truth. God doesn't care about that, and that doesn't really fit into the biblical story because if you're honest, you'll remember that a lot of the people that followed Jesus were rich. Zacchaeus was rich. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a thief. He was rich because he was a thief. He was rich. Joseph of Arimathea, who followed Jesus, let Jesus bar his tomb. He was rich. Nicodemus was on the Sanhedrin. He was rich. Even when you look at Lydia, he was, they were rich. Even Peter. Peter had more than one boat. Peter had a business and people following him. If he wasn't rich, he was up on middle class. There's nothing wrong with having money. But when the only thing you think about is having money and God never having you, there's a problem somewhere. So that's why when we read the scripture in context, after I've given you that, you can understand why James is saying what he's saying. You can understand why James is preaching what he says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming to you. you have, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And you say, well, that saves me. I'm rich. No, it doesn't. Because do you not know the fact that you are living in the United States of America makes you richer than the majority of the world. I've been to countries where you can't turn on the water and the water comes out. I've been to countries where you turn on the lights and you hope they stay home and you don't have a blackout. I've been to countries where they're not worried about an extra bedroom set or extra television. They're happy and they're sweeping dirt floor. In America, we have become rich and what he is preaching against is the same thing that Jesus is preaching against. Sometimes we let our ease and our comfort and our money think we make us think we got it going on and we forget about God. Woe unto those who are at ease and Zion. Woe unto those who just think life is perfect for you because your 401k is doing good or your Roth IRAs are doing good or your E-Trade account is doing good. But I got a question for you. Those of you who have trusted in wealth, those of you who have trusted in riches, what do you think about them now? Now that the stock market is crashing, now that recession has come, how are your riches helping you out now? How is your wanting more and more and only caring about yourself? How is that working for you now? Oh, I, I might not get many amens. When I, I, we go in order. So when I got to the scripture and I began to read it, read it I said, uh-oh. This is going to be a great Sunday. But that's the cool part about reading through an entire book. I don't get to pick and choose. I'm reading whatever God has there. And I'm sorry this is what we get today. No, I'm not sorry. Because we need more preaching like this. We need more preaching that will teach us the truth. James is telling us this morning that what's going on on the outside of us has a lot to do with what's going on on the inside of us. He's not attacking rich people, but it's important to listen to what he says because in America, we have decided that money is a mirror. Everybody said money is a mirror. Why? What do we mean? We try to let money show people who we are. We try to make money be our image. See, a mirror reflects your image. And so we try to drive 
bigger cars and the fancier, get, get into nicer houses and all this other stuff. And we pull up to the, to the store in our nice car and we look next to the person in the broke down car with a little sneaky pride in our heart to say, I've got it all together. I got things, things are going well with me. If you just do a little bit better, you may be able to have this. We do that. We live in our neighborhoods and we look down at other people and their plights and we don't bother with them because they are not worried about it. But I have a message for us today. Now we shouted and we clapped when I talked about abortion and that people are going to live. But I got a message for those who are at ease in Zion with your nice money and your nice houses and, that, and your nice car. Now that you can't kill them as much and they're going to be here, what are you going to do to take care of them now that they're here? Stop worrying about just being pro-birth and start being pro-life altogether. Worry about the oppressed. Worry about the needed. Worry about those that are sick. We for years have been fighting abortion, but now that we fought abortion and won some battles, what are you going to do about fighting hunger and fighting poverty while we go to our nice houses and pass the bad neighborhoods and never go into ministry? Woe unto those who are at ease in Zion. We try to use our status and our money to make it look like we've been something in life. I've been a manager here. I've done that. I'm the pastor of this. We try to make money a mirror, but money is not a mirror. It is glass, but it's a different type of glass. Money is a magnifying glass. Money doesn't show people who you are because it reflects who you are. If you have a little or a lot of it, what it does is magnify who you are. So if you're generous and when money comes into your life, it magnifies and you become a philanthropist. If you're wicked and you're arrogant and your heart is arrogant, money just makes you a bigger jerk. Money just makes you more arrogant. You got a big bank account and you're sitting on it while other people are dying and starving. I'm not saying you have to feed the entire world, but you may be able to do more than you decided to do. Jesus told a parable of a man that was like that. He gave a harvest and he had to biggest bumper crop that he'd ever had and instead of worrying about his neighbor he said look at all that I have accumulated he never said that I give some to the needy he didn't even mention that we need to leave the edges of our field according to the law for the poor that we need to care about those people instead of trying to do something for somebody else he said I think I build a bigger barn I think I'll build a bigger barn so that I can hold more of it. I think I'll open up another IRA. I think I'll buy some more real estate for my investment so I can hire some more money. I think I'll get some rental property. And Jesus, the Bible says that God came to him and said, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Now who's going to spend your money? Who's going to spend your wealth? We worry too much about stuff and things that we can't take with us. I can't count the imagine amount of times at funerals I've seen families broken over possessions that they can't have when they leave here. Worried about stuff. I've come to tell you, if you've never read the book of Job, I give you a preview. Naked you came into this world and naked you shall return. Money is not a mirror. Money is a magnifying glass. It simply reveals who we are. If you say you love God, but all your money goes to Applebee's, eh, 
You say you love your family, but you spend all your money at the bar and none on sending your kids to a camp or sending your kids to something that will help them. If you say you love your spouse, but you spend all your money on your nice trinkets and your boats and your cars and all this other stuff and give your wife just a little old bit of this, you're lying to yourself. The Bible says we deceive ourselves. Somebody say, I got to stop lying to myself. Oh, that was weak. Say it like you mean it. When I tell you to tell somebody else something, you're excited. Say it loud and proud. I got to stop lying to myself. It's my, Pastor, it's a lot more fun when you tell me to tell my neighbor. Well, your neighbor's busy today. I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking to me. We get too caught up in fool's gold. Why do, are we talking about fool's gold? Because fool's gold looks like gold. When I was little, we had a petrified forest in Mississippi. And I'll never forget we were going around for rocks. And inside of the trinket store, you could buy something called pyrite. Pyrite is called fool's gold because you many miners would get it. They would go and they would get it up and the 49ers would get it. But the problem was when they really waited and figured it out, although it looked like it had value, although it looked like you could buy something with it, it was really and essentially worthless. How much of our lives? Do we give away to get big houses and big cars and, and a lot of land and a lot of investments? But at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed, none of that stuff matters at all. Living life to impress people who don't care about us. We're looking in all the wrong places. James is saying to church members that you have made a bad investment. None of what you are focusing on has the ability to last. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the misery that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds like he was listening to his brother's song. For his brother said, for lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where thieves can come in and steal and moth can eat. But he said, for lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth does not eat and, and, and thieves don't break in and steal. God is not anti-wealth. God is anti-people that care more about wealth than they care about him. You make excuses. Men, sometimes we can be the world's worst at this. I try to be soft on men because the church is always hard on men, but I got to tell the truth. How much do we neglect doing the right things for our kids because we make the excuse, I got to put food on the table. You work long hours and your kid doesn't even know who you are. Nothing wrong with working. The Bible says that if you don't care for your house, you're worse than an infidel. But guess what? You're going to have to man up. If you got to work all those hours, that's fine. But instead of doing your leisurely stuff, be a man. Man up and spend some time with your wife and your children. Don't use it as an excuse to neglect your family. Don't make bad investments. It's what James is saying. Jesus. We need to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I want to read you something. Jesus wants us to know it's not good for us to be possessed by our possessions. 
if we did an assessment of our time, because wherever your treasure is, that where your heart will be. The biggest treasure you have is not just spending money. What other word do we call that we're spending? Time. But time is different from money, because unless God intervenes, it can't be refunded. Work for Hezekiah might not work for you. So in other words, if you take every dollar I have, if God has a blessing on my life, I get more money. I'm not really worried about money in the stock market. I got time. I'm young. Uh, if I have time, if he lets me live. But at the end of the day, I don't have any more life. I only have what God's allotted me. And if I spend my time unwisely, it's a bad investment. If I don't spend my time with prayer, if I don't spend my time in investing to raise godly children, do I put more time into taking my kids to, to events and taking them to concerts and taking them to comedy clubs or wherever you want to take them or take them to amusement parks and put them in basketball and football and soccer? And that's where the most of my time is spent and find little time at home to ever find time to put them in a devotional at home where your treasure is. They are possessions by their possessions. We lost an entire generation in the church. You know why? Because the church dumbed down our youth. They spent time sending kids to camp, trying to send them to Six Flags and all these other places, keeping them with fun, and nothing was wrong with the fun, but we spent all the energy on the fun and none and putting any doctrine or Bible in their head. Except for loose pity pat stuff, and they had no good foundation. So when they grew up, they grew up as adults who really didn't know anything about God. And we wasted time. Teaching them about the nature and character of God. We could have been teaching them about the power of the Holy Spirit. We could have been teaching them about salvation. We could have been teaching them about all those other things, but we wanted to be trendy. We wanted to be nice. And then when they get old and they go back out to the world, we get upset and wonder why they went out there. Why? Why? Because they said, why get the watered down version? I might well get the real thing because you're trying to be more like them on the inside of here than they are. So I might well go out there and get them all the way. Focus on being the church and everything else will take care of itself. I like events. I like the stuff Terry does because Terry is fun. I'm not a fun kid guy. I don't do all that stuff. They got to have somebody to do all those stuff. But Terry knows, just like I know, that I'm more concerned if they never went to another thing that they know who God is. That they know what the word of God says. Because it is the power. The gospel is the power for the salvation of those who believe. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22. You have permission not to say amen today. I know it hurts. Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22. It hurts me too. But if you can squeeze one out, it'll be appreciated. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22. It hurts you because I know because it hurt me when it came to me. It doesn't hit you before it hits me. Let's see what it says. Let's read together. What does it say? And behold, a man that came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. 
The young man said to him with pride, I added that, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect or mature, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had what? Great possession. I worked hard for this degree. You mean you're going to tell me to leave my career to go follow you? I worked hard to get this promotion. You mean you're going to tell me to leave it to do what you calling me to do? I saved for years to get this money. You telling me to, to use some of it to give to other people outside of myself? It wasn't the money. It was that the money had its heart. I found that the closer we get to this world, the harder it is to leave it. That's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter heaven. It's not impossible. But the more comfortable you are with something, it's harder to give it away. That's why it's easy for a poor person to give than it is for a person of great wealth. Because it's easier to tithe off of 500 than it is off of 500,000. The closer you get to something, the harder it is to let go. I remember this old hymn that said, turn your eyes unto Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face and the cares of this life will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But the problem is we're doing what that rich young ruler had did. He turned his eyes away from Jesus and started turning his eyes to what he had. Wealth, power, status, prestige, education, pick your poison. We all have something that we're pursuing, trying to make us feel like we have purpose in life. And most of that doesn't have anything to do with the purpose of God. You can have more degrees than a thermometer and more money than Fort Knox. But if you are not in the will of God, you are a failure. And God may never call you to be the pastor or leader of a five million person church, he may call you to be faithful over 20, but how dare you ask him for 5,000 when you can't be faithful over five? When you look at five and you say, that's all I have? I'm worth more than that. I'm more gifted than that. That's why you don't have it. Because you've turned your eyes from Jesus and started turning your eyes to how big your crowd is. So you can compare yourself to other preachers and falsely equate a large crowd to success. But I know I read a Bible brother day. You know what it said? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that finds it. He said the way to heaven is narrow and few there be that find it. So even if you have a church full of people, chances and statistics show, according to the Bible, many of those people will not find the way to heaven because although they're interested in Jesus, just like the rich young ruler, they're interested in him. But when they really find out what it costs to follow him, they say that's too much to pay. He's telling us that in pursuit of more personal pleasure, you have ne neglected and mistreated many. 
I want to read this last portion to you as we get ready to go. I only have two points today. Somebody said, amen. I, I don't know how much more I can take. <laughs> Verse 5 says this. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have so many TV channels, you don't know how many you got. You have so many subscriptions, you have no idea how many you actually have. Some people have one car, you got six. You, go, you got more bank accounts than you can count. Nothing wrong with your couch, but you keep complaining that it's too old. And it looks just like it when you bought on it. You barely sit on it. You've lived life in luxury and in self-indulgence. Everybody says self. Self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person because he does not resist you. Because after all, James is using this strong language because he's trying to destroy something in them, which is a desire for our selfish ambitions and our selfish lust. And if we're all honest, all of us have some selfishness in us. Amen. And if we say we don't, we have some liar in us. I'm using strong language like James today, but James is doing this because he's trying to attack a cancer that will kill our spirit if we do not address it, that we worry more about ourselves than we worry about the things of God. You know why sermons like, like this aren't preached? Because preachers like their paychecks. I'm just going to be honest. Preachers like their crowds. And if they preach like this, they know they're not going to have that crowd for very long because people say, I work all week long. I don't work to go be insulted. I don't work for somebody to tell me how to live my life. I work for you to tell me how good I am, and, I, and I'm on my way to heaven. Well, what profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? James is telling us that in pursuit of more for our personal pleasure and self-indulgence, we have neglected and mistreated many. Those who heart whose heart is postured towards self-gratification will end up abusing many in their pursuit of happiness. In other words, their happiness is the most important thing. And if anything gets in the way of their life and their happiness, then it should be erased and eradicated. Because nothing more is important in life than me to be happy and financially prosperous and healthy and that kind of logic. Now you see why people say, my body, my choice. If I don't want to have to be burdened with a child, I should just be able to kill it whenever I get ready. Because I wasn't responsible enough to stop having it. Well, what about exceptions? All those exceptions that people come up are, are, are up to 4%. So you know what that means? 96% of those people are having abortions because they chose to be irresponsible. 4% are because heinous things happened to them that shouldn't have happened. And we don't, we don't act like we don't know those things happen, and we don't ask for mercy for those. But 96% of the people, you can't have an argument based off of 4% when the 96% 
are doing it because they are irresponsible. And 45% of the people who have abortions are people who already had one before. And I watched my Facebook page, and it almost hurt my heart. I tried to stay off of Facebook while people said, well, I guess I better be a little bit more careful now. Why do you have to be careful now? Why wouldn't you have been careful before? If you know you can't take care of a child, why would you be reckless and bring him into the world and be irresponsible? I guess now you have to wait until you're married. I guess now you have to wait until you can provide. But I've come to tell you, there's never a perfect time to have a child. But if you have them, I found out if you're willing to work, God has a way of providing for you. Children are not a burden. The Bible says children are a blessing. But when you live in a culture <coughs> that promotes self, and secular humanism and our ultimate pursuit is for us to be happy at the expense of everybody else. You can look at somebody and say, it's okay for me to kill a child in the womb. And not only kill that child in the womb, well, it's more humane now. It, it, it gives you a pill. So it's a more inhumane form of murder. So you poison them instead of killing them. These things need to be said for my pulpits now because the reason the world is in the way it is is because none of us have been bold enough to tell the truth and we allow the world to make us back down. I'm not backing down. The truth is the truth. If you unfriend me, so long, bye-bye. If you never watch another broadcast, so long, bye-bye. But you can't say that you didn't have because I love you too much to lie to you. I love you too much to lie to you. I saw somebody saying, well, why aren't preachers saying much more about it on Facebook? I said, and I, I was talking to one of my pastor friends. I said, because why say it on Facebook when you're not saying it from your pulpits on Sunday morning? That's who God has given you charge of. Start here first. And when you're bold enough to say it from here, it'll go forward. Those whose heart is postured towards self-gratification end up abusing many in their pursuit of habits and their happiness. They will, they will break promises to their kids to get a promotion. They will neglect the needs of their spouse to gain the favor of an organizational leaders, be it on the job, secular, or even in the church. I can't, uh, I can't count the number of times I've seen a man or a woman neglect their husband or wife and serve the church and serve the pastor better than they do their own spouse. That is not godly. That is from the pit of hell. God called you to minister to them. Don't you dare go minister to another pastor before you minister to the one. God said, let you be joined and no man break asunder. When you finish ministering to them and they okay, then come minister to the church. That's your first ministry. That doesn't mean, somebody said, well, I need, that means I need to do everything about my husband and forget about the church. No, that's not what that means. It means to have balance. Don't put more into what people think of you trying to raise your status in an organization or a church. So people can look at you and say, I'm bishop this, or uh, I'm apostle this or that. What good is that? Because the church ain't going to be holding your hand when you take your last breath. You better invest in the people that are going to be there to hold your hand. They will even destroy innocent lives. 
for their own selfish pursuits. They abuse and they, they love the things of the world. Because after all, anything or anyone that gets in the way of what they want or feel they believe they should have. And I want to tell you, James ain't talking to the world. Who is he talking to? The church. They feel they have the right to eliminate. Your child's not a mistake. Your actions may have been a mistake, but your child's not a mistake. Jesus said, for I formed you in the belly, I knew you. No child is a mistake. I hear a question James is asking. That's why I like the Bible. I didn't even plan to go through all this today, but it just lines up with the text. Isn't that amazing how God knows what he wants to do? I hear a question James is asking the church today, what's really really going on in the church when those that have won't share with those that don't have when those who have businesses try to work those people to their fingers and to the bone and they have no time with their kids that's wrong and that's immoral but it's also wrong when those who work for those people don't give their all at work they give just enough to get by that's wrong and that's immoral What's really going on? And James is asking this question. When did our priorities become so skewed from the word of God that we let our own desires for more and the world and self-gratification cause us to abandon what and do what's right? How did we get here? I don't, water is wet, heat is hot, air conditioners are cold, sin of sin. I don't mind. I wish they wouldn't. Some of the arguments that people that don't know God pull up, they have a right to have those arguments. They don't know God. They, they, we can't hold them to our belief, but if they don't know God, and if they, they think that murder is okay, if they think that lasciviousness is okay, they don't know God yet. That's fine. But the problem I have is that it's not out in the world. It's in the Church people arguing for abortion. Wicked. Yeah, I said it, wicked. That's all it is, wicked. Church people arguing for sin. And you hear me say all the time, James said, if we say we have no sin, we lie. We all have sins, but we don't promote our sins. We take our sins to the cross of Christ and we come in repentance and we come in contrition for God to change us. We confess and say, Lord, I'm a sinner because if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to say something else since I'm already out on this limb. It might as well break. There is no liar's prayer month. There is no adulterous pride month. There is no thieving pride month. There is no killer or murderous pride month. Sin is sin, and God has not called us in the church to be proud of sin. And if your opinion doesn't line with the Bible, I go ahead and tell you, you're wrong. Pastor, you sound angry. I'm not angry. But sometimes we need that forceful thing. God don't care about your opinion and your social justice and your mindset. He wrote his word. It's not for him to adjust to you. It's for you to adjust to him. So if you have a problem with that statement, go to the word of God and adjust your behavior. 
Because you belong to him, he doesn't belong to you. We are his people. Once again, I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to the church. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. Why I just don't agree. He never required us to agree. This is the thing about Americans. We don't really realize how, how the Bible really works. See, God is an autocracy. He's not a democracy. In other words, God doesn't ask your opinion. He doesn't ask for representative government for what he does. I'll go ahead, like Brother Bob said, doing the words of encouragement, and I'll talk about the sovereignty of God a little bit theologically, and I'll sum it up in one scripture. It says, our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He don't care if you don't agree. He's God. He don't care if you enlighten. Matter of fact, Paul talks about those enlightened people that know more about how the world is today. That's not new. Well, that's not what we're doing today. We don't preach hate. Hate is telling somebody that they're on the way to heaven when they're on the way to hell. Hate, hate, hate that's what hate is. Love is not telling somebody whose lifestyle is unholy and ungodly and, and that, that they're okay and that they should be affirmed in what they are. That's hate. What you're essentially saying is you're on your way to hell and I'm going to make you feel good about it. And it's worse because it's not coming from the world. It's coming from the church. It's the church affirming wickedness. Because that's the right thing to do. If you don't believe me, go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. And it'll tell you, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They were woke. Uh-oh. But they were really asleep. It's been a long time since you heard preaching like this, isn't it? I'm not preaching to an amen corner. I'm not preaching to get an amen I'm preaching this because, one, the Lord gave it to me, and number two, that it needs to be preached in the church because the church, we, the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. How can we go out and tell the world how to live, but we won't police ourselves? We won't submit to discipline ourselves. We won't put ourselves down and submit to restoration ourselves when we're out of line, but we want to tell the world how to live their life. How are you going to tell somebody else not to have an abortion and you having one? How you going to tell somebody else to live holy? And you pretend that you have no sin. And when confronted with it, rather than be honest and, and get yourself right and step down and get yourself together, you get proud and bold and arrogant about it. God is not called to this. Judgment turn on. You know where the Bible says it begins? At the house of God. When the church is off, the world has no choice but to be off. When I can't tell from what you post and whether or not you look like a sinner or a saint, something's wrong. When I see you agreeing with wickedness, when I see you promoting rainbows that aren't over Noah's Ark, Everybody has sin. We don't look down on people because of their sin, but we don't celebrate their sin. I don't celebrate mine, so I'm not going to celebrate anybody else's. I'm nobody's judge. I have my own sin. That's why we're here. 
but we don't ignore it and call right wrong. The Bible, didn't the Bible say that, Mother Ernie? That in the last day, right will be called wrong and wrong will be called right. We have reached those days. But we got to preach because we're fighting for them. We're fighting for children so they don't grow up confused and think right is wrong and wrong is right. right. We're fighting for our future and our kids to where they know what's right even though the world says it's wrong. We're fighting because when I drive down the streets of Royal Oak, I look at things celebrated on my, on my daughter's school that shouldn't be celebrated. And to tell people we took them up. We won't say anything. Stop caring more about yourself than you do other people. Don't neglect yourself. Don't, 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 don't do things to harm yourself just to prove, prove you're godly. But search your hearts. We should all search our hearts. Paul put it this way. Examine yourself to see whether you be He's once again talking to church people. You know what that means? Just because you're sitting in the pew don't mean you have a seat waiting for you in heaven. None but the righteous shall see God. Somebody said we need to hurry up and finish. I'm getting ready. But this isn't designed to hurt you. This is designed to help you. God is trying to give you a clear view of not trying to hate, he's trying to help. I hope nobody in here would hear that we should treat any class of people disdainfully or ugly. You love everybody. How shall men know that you are my disciples? By the love that you show for one another. But we have to take back the definition of love. like I know and all of us that this message hits each and every one of us. None of us are immune. That's what I like about the word of God. I don't preach it like I'm their judge. I don't preach it from up here so because I feel like I'm tall, I'm better than you and I'm more lofty. I preach it up here because I'm short and you can see me better. But I'm right down there with you. And needing the word of God me and put me where God wants me to be. If this has been a blessing to you, and if you give God a hand clap of praise. As we prepare to pray. Amen, Sire. For those of you who are prepared to give for the missionary efforts in Tanzania, Jalis is here. She hadn't made it here to us yet. She's working on getting acclimated, but she's in, in she's been in the city. Um, we're thankful for that. Um, for those of you who are doing that, thank you for your generosity that God has placed.